Last week we started a new series called Fearless Church. And I really got the the concept for that series from a quote from A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, A frightened world needs a fearless church. I actually shared that quote with our staff the very first day after everything shut down. We had staff meeting. Uh, That was one of my messages to our staff. A frightened world needs a fearless church. So in this series, we've been trying to look at what does it take to be a fearless church? What steps do we need to take to be a fearless church? So last week, we looked at the first half of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And let me remind you, in case you've forgotten, or maybe you didn't tune in last week, but Peter, in, in the book of 1 Peter, was writing to persecuted Christians. Christians who were, who were being persecuted, not because they'd done anything wrong, but simply because they were living their faith out. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, he kind of sets the stage for verse 15. Here's what he says in verse 14. But even if you should suffer, notice that word, but even if you should suffer for what is right, that is you're not suffering for something that you're doing that's wrong. You're suffering for living out your faith. You're suffering for doing something that is right. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. It doesn't feel like you're blessed, does it? It doesn't feel like things are good, but Peter said, if you have to suffer for your faith, you are blessed. But then notice what else he said. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Now, these people that Peter was writing to, they were living in a time of crisis. They were living in dark days of persecution. And Peter said, but listen, make sure you don't fear what they fear, those people that are persecuting you. Those people who don't know the Lord. Do not fear what they fear. And do not be frightened. And then he says, but here's how you handle it. Look at this. But in your hearts, this is the way you deal with it. This is the way you handle it. Here's how you approach it. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Peter would say, life is hard. Life, we live in a fallen world and bad things are happening all around us. There's no doubting that. But here's what Peter would say to you and I. Don't let what's happening around you determine what's happening within you. In days of crisis, you and I need to step deeper into our relationship with Jesus. That's why he said what he said. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. In days of crisis, step deeper into your relationship with Jesus. Now, that basically was last week's message, what we looked at. And this week, I want to look at the second half of verse 15. Look at this verse on the screen. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know what Peter was saying? Peter was saying, when you set apart Christ as Lord in your life, be ready for people to ask you questions. Because you're going to be living differently than them. When you set apart Christ as Lord of your life, be ready because people are going to start to get curious. They're going to notice that you're different. They're going to notice that you have something they don't have. Hope. See, our world is desperately looking for hope right now. There was an article in in a secular newspaper recently on April the 6th, and the title of the article said this, Coronavirus outbreak spurs record Bible purchases. People are looking for hope. That was the headline. People are looking for hope. And it has spurred record purchases of Bibles. In the article, Brian Chung was quoted as saying, and I quote, 
in this life-altering and unprecedented pandemic, people are looking for hope and restoration. We believe people are buying Bibles because there's a longing to connect with God, to find meaning, and to experience peace. This pandemic certainly has upended everyone's lives in some way or another. And it's not surprising, is it, that people are turning to God's Word? It's not surprising at all. In fact, it's a good thing that people are coming, coming to the comfort and the clarity of the Bible as they try to find hope in these times that are so uncertain and so troubled. But Peter would say, you need to be prepared. Because not everyone will turn to a Bible. Some people will turn to you. Because for some of us, the you or us, we are the only Bible some people will read. And Peter would say, your Christian faith ought to be so evident that it makes, Christ, it makes people curious. The way you live out your life, the way you live out your faith, the way you handle frightening times of crisis could make people curious who don't know the Lord. And so here's what he says. Look in the Bible if you have your Bibles open. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. As I was reading that verse, I was asking this question, why do they ask about hope? Always be prepared, he said, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Why do they ask about hope? Or to ask that question in a different way, what do they see that would prompt them to ask about hope? I mean, after all, think about it. Hope is invisible. Hope is an attitude of the heart. So what do they see that would make them curious? Well, I think you've put, if you put in its context, what they see is, is that they see that you're not troubled. They see that you're not driven by fear because Jesus is Lord of your life. Whereas it says in verse 14, do not be afraid of what they're afraid of. Do not be frightened. And they see that. They can see that. You don't fear what they fear. You have hope in a hopeless situation. And they can see that. And when you live differently from people around you, they want to know what's different. They want to know why. You See, when you set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, when, you're, when your life is anchored in a relationship with Jesus then you have a hope that is unshakable. And it's a hope that others notice. And don't be surprised if the world starts asking questions. I love something I heard from, Peter, uh, or from Steve Stroop recently. He said, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's more good going on than there is crisis. Then he explained it. He says, here's how I know that. He said, add up all the struggles that you have, whatever the struggles are. Uh, maybe you're having problems with your finances. Maybe you don't have a job. Uh, maybe you're, you're having problems with your health. Maybe you're having problems with your family. He said, just add up all the negatives in your life. He said, but then when you add Jesus, everything comes out to be a positive. I thought, that's really true. There are certainly negatives in our lives. There are certainly problems that we have to deal with. We are not exempt from that. There are negatives that are worrisome and negatives that sometimes keep us awake at night. But if you add Jesus to that situation, it always comes out a positive. Therefore, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart and be prepared. Be prepared for people to notice. Be prepared for people to ask you the reason that you have hope. 
See, a crisis simply provides a, a special kind of darkness that allows our light to shine even brighter. I'll say that again. A, a crisis provides a special kind of darkness that allows our light to shine even brighter. I, I've got with me today uh, the light that I use when I go hunting. Now, from where you are, you, you might be able to see that in the camera lens there because I'm shining it directly. But if I shine it around, because this is such a bright light, you can see it a little bit. You can see the evidence of the light. You probably can't see the beam of the light unless it, it's shining on something. But, but you can see it even in the daylight somewhat. But if we were to turn out all the lights here, if this room suddenly got dark you would unmistakably see this light. If all of a sudden this room got dark, you would not be able to avoid this light. You see, here's what you need to, un- you need to understand and I need to understand. The darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. The darker it gets, the more we notice the light. I want to say to you that we have an unprecedented opportunity in our lifetimes because people are looking for hope and they don't know where to find it. They're looking for hope and some of those people are looking at you. They're watching you. And you know where hope can be found because you know His name. Josh Howerton said something recently that I thought was really good. He said, where fear sees a crisis, faith sees an opportunity. We have an opportunity that is unlike anything that I've ever seen in my life. We're standing in the doorway of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And in the midst of crisis, there's an opportunity to share hope with people who desperately are trying to find it. That's why I've decided recently that one of the ways that I'm going to try to share hope with our community during these days is that we've recently put the cross back up outside. Now, for those of you who are not from the upstate, you may not know what we're talking about, so let me explain. Uh, During the Easter season on Good Friday, uh, this year we put a cross on the hill in front of our church and we lit it up at night. It was just a silent testimony to the community about what that weekend was really all about. And I recorded a little three or four minute devotion and people could drive into our parking lot, turn to an FM station, they could listen to that little devotion as they sat there and looked at the cross. Well, we've put the cross back up and starting this week, Each week, I'm going to record a new devotion, three to five minutes, and we're going to have the cross up 24-7, and it's going to be lit up at night, and it's going to be lit up bright. And my, my desire is that people will drive onto our parking lot, and if they're anxious, they can sit there and find a place of prayer as they come to the cross. My desire is that some people are looking for answers, they're looking for hope, and they can come sit in our parking lot, they can look at the cross, They can listen to a devotion. Maybe they'll understand that the only hope this world has is Jesus. You see, when Jesus is Lord of our lives, each crisis becomes an opportunity to share good news. The people around you who don't know God can tell that you have hope, but they don't know why you have hope. So Peter, in this text, gives us two very clear, simple steps we can take in this incredible opportunity that is ours. Here's the first step he says you can take. Number one, be prepared to explain your faith. Here's the way Peter said it. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I want you to notice that word always. It's an intense word. Always be prepared. No matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself, whether you're at your home or you're somewhere else, no, no matter the circumstance or the situation, Peter says, always be ready because you don't know who's watching. You don't know who's looking. You don't know who's about to ask you why you have hope in these hopeless times. So the first very simple step that you and I can take in these days to be a fearless church is be prepared to explain your faith. Now the word answer in this verse is an interesting word. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That word answer comes from a Greek word that means to give a defense of your faith. In, in seminary we call this apologetics. It doesn't mean that you apologize for your faith. Instead, it means that you give a reasoned, intelligent explanation for why you believe what you believe. Peter says, always be ready to give an intelligent explanation for why you believe what you believe. If someone were to challenge your Christian faith, are you ready to defend what you believe? If someone were to ask you what it means to be a follower of Jesus, are you ready to tell them? If someone were to ask you why you have hope in a hopeless situation, could you explain it to them? Peter says, always be ready to give that answer. And let me just give you one tip here. Think in terms of sentences, not paragraphs. Peter didn't say you need to win them to the Lord. Peter said, just be prepared to answer their questions. He didn't say you need to go through a long gospel presentation. He simply said, be prepared to answer their questions. And so I've got three things that I would suggest to you as you prepare to do that. As you answer their questions, number one, point people to Jesus. Always point people to Jesus as the source of your hope. Number two, point people to God's Word because that's the anchor for all of us in life. And number three, leave the results to God. Peter didn't say, be prepared to win people to the Lord. No, he said, be prepared to answer their questions. Point people to Jesus. Point them to God's Word. and Leave the results to God. That's the first step we can take in these days to be a fearless church. Now, there's a second step. He said, also, be respectful as you share your faith. In the, the, the next part of verse 15, here's what he says. But do this with gentleness and respect. I want you to listen to me carefully. As your pastor, or if you're just listening from somewhere else in the United States or somewhere else around the world, uh, could I just kind of share this with everyone uh, from my heart to yours? I'm convinced you are never going to argue somebody into the kingdom. And you're, you're probably not going to do it on Facebook. I am so sick and tired of watching people on Facebook lose their testimony. Or on Twitter or some other social media. Lose their testimony because they get in an argument about what they believe. You never win an argument in that way. You, Peter says when you share your faith, he says do this with gentleness and with respect. Someone said a powerful argument is when you can speak with a meek spirit. That's a powerful argument. In Colossians chapter 4, uh, I want you to turn over to the left real quickly. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul gives us some, some additional help in this area. Colossians chapter 4 Verses 5 and 6. Here's what Paul says. He says, Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer 
everyone. I love that phrase, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So Paul in this text mentions two very simple things that you and I need to pay attention to. First of all, Paul says, you need to pay attention to your walk. Verse 5, he says, he puts it this way. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Be wise in your walk. But also be wise in your talk. He said in verse 6, let your conversation be always, watch this, full of grace. Seasoned with salt. So that you may know how to answer everyone. People are looking for answers more than they're looking for an argument. They're looking for hope. Sometimes they're looking to you for that answer. So you should always give them your answer with gentleness and with respect. Always in love and never in degrading terms. Your talk and your walk are very important. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer. But do this with gentleness, with respect. About three years ago, my brother was in the hospital and... uh, he was in and out of the hospital for a long time, for years. He had lots of heart problems. And about three years or so ago, he was at Duke University Hospital, and he had already been there for three and a half weeks, and, and he had another week or so to go. He had congestive heart failure, and they had pulled 50 pounds of fluid off of him during the, those three and a half weeks. 50 pounds of fluid in three and a half weeks. He was not doing well. We were not sure at the time if he would make it. He wasn't getting better, and he was slipping and slipping and slipping into a dark depression. This man who had served the Lord, this man who had been a pastor, was questioning if God even cared for these dark days of crisis he was experiencing. Then one night, as he lay in the hospital bed, he told me this story later. One night as he laid in the hospital bed, he said, Keith, Jesus met with me. I don't mean that he met with him physically. I don't mean that there was a physical presence in his room. But he was convinced that Jesus met with him that night. And it's much like what Paul said in the verse that I read last week. When Paul was in prison, he he described it this way. He said, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. While he was in the prison cell, he said, the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. I think Larry must have had an experience something like that. The Lord stood at his side as he lay in the bed and gave him strength. And the next morning, he was a different man. Next morning, he had a different outlook. In fact, it was so different that every nurse and doctor who came into the room noticed it and asked him what had changed. Not only that, the word began to get around on the floor and people came in to see him. Who They, they weren't even supposed to be in there. Uh, they, they were not his doctor, but the doctors were coming in. In fact, one doctor brought his entire team to see Larry and talk to Larry. Two plumbers came to fix his toilet. They ended up spending more than an hour talking to him. Another person came in and said, handed him a phone and said, would you call my daughter? She needs to talk to you. Here's what I want you to understand. People are looking for hope. They don't know where to find it. And when Jesus is really Lord of your life, people will begin to ask you why. Why is Jesus Lord of your life? Why do you have hope in a hopeless situation? Here's the answer. Look at this text. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness 
respect. Peter would say to you and me, just be ready. Just be ready this week because you never know who may be looking at you and who may come to you with a question. Why do you have hope? Let's pray about that right now. Would you join me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we're grateful for the hope that you give us through Jesus Christ. We are grateful that you are the source of our hope, even in dark days. And I pray that as the days grow darker, our light will grow brighter. I pray that as the days grow darker, Peter, people would notice the light that is within us. And may the words that Peter wrote be words of preparation for us this week to be ready to share our faith and explain it and to be ready to share it with gentleness and respect as we hand to others what somebody one day handed to us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.